You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Bowtech Archery prides themselves on offering a bow for everyone. Whether you have a short draw length, a long draw length, pull 70 pounds or 40 pounds, you're a bow hunter or a target archer, they offer a bow that can be customized to fit your body type. On top of that, their deadlock technology allows you to fine-tune your arrow flight. Visit BowTechArchery.com and check out the SR350 and the CP28. Bowtech Archery, refuse to follow. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. This podcast aims to educate those who are interested in becoming deer hunters, brushing up on essential skills, or maybe just adding a few new tactics to the toolkit. A variety of topics that will help you be more confident and successful in the field while hunting deer. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. The excitement is palpable as archery hunters are taking to the woods all around the country, uh, either now or here in the next couple of weeks. There's nothing like those first few uh, crisp fall mornings sneaking in close to bedding or watching deer vacuum up white oak acorns as they pack on weight before the rut. While the early season is full of excitement, it can also be extremely challenging. You've got changing food sources, shifting home ranges, increased hunting pressure, and all that can make it tough to pin down exactly where the deer are right now. This is where in-season scouting comes in. Out of the How to Hunt Deer podcast, I'm talking with Aaron Hepler, public land hunter from PA, and he spends a lot of his time hunting in a big woods setting. Scouting is pivotal for Aaron's deer hunting strategy and is crucial for getting on deer in the early season. In this episode, Aaron shares his general approach to in-season scouting, what kind of sign he's looking for, when to stop versus when to keep going, and his thought process on a couple of real-world scenarios that I throw his way. Increase your in-season scouting effectiveness, and, I mean, really, who doesn't? Then this episode is for you. Though we want to thank our partners who are helping me bring you fresh deer hunting content each and every week. We've got Huntworth. They've got high-quality camo without the sticker shock. My opening day gear consists of the Durham lightweight pants. They keep you cool. They're tough and durable. They've got just the right amount of stretch to them. Fallon lightweight shirt. Shelton midweight hoodie with the face mask, uh, probably in my pack, but who knows? It may cool off enough to uh, to break that thing out. Making lightweight gloves and probably the Winstead lightweight rain jacket in the pack, just in case we get a little bit of rain. Also, the Hickory pack is going to be my go-to uh, if you're in the market for some cold weather gear. They also just launched their Heat Boost line. You can learn more about all of this at HuntworthGear.com. Deer Lab, they're the number one app for hunters and land managers. Deer Lab lets you take your trail camera data analysis to the next level with tons of features. It syncs to local weather. Favorite features is the heat map made using aggregate data to help you hone in on your target. Right now, you can get a 30-day free trial 
No credit card required. Just head over to their website, DeerLab.com, to sign up. Ready to buy, you can use the code HUNTDEER. That's one word, all caps, HUNTDEER. And that will save you 30% off of any of their plans. Tacticam, they are the title sponsor for this show and for my other podcast, The Wisconsin Sportsman. They're a great company, great people, making great products. By now with their Reveal cell cams, I'm rocking the Reveal X Gen 2 cameras right now, um, getting great quality pictures. And they actually get really good service in places that I wouldn't necessarily expect to be able to get good service. I also picked up a couple of lock boxes for those cameras. Uh, as well as some of their rechargeable lithium batteries. And man, my setup just feels complete now. It is Tacticam helping you catch great trail cam data, but they're also helping you capture your hunting memories to share with your buddies and have for a lifetime with their 6.0 and Solo Extreme point of view cameras. If you're thinking about getting into filming your hunts, there is no better, simpler, cheaper way to start than with Tacticam's point of view cameras. You can find those at Tacticam.com and their trail cameras at RevealCellCam.com. Now, with all of that out of the way, let's get into the show with Aaron Hepler. Joining me for the How to Hunt Deer podcast this week is Aaron Hepler. Aaron, what's going on, buddy? How are you, man? Good, man. Welcome to the show. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. It's not every day I get somebody who's willing to record uh, in the middle of the day on a Tuesday. So, yeah, like I said, that, that intensive care nursing is the way to way to, way to go, dude. I think I may have gone into the wrong field. Uh, that <laughs> that sounds pretty great. You were sharing earlier. You got a schedule. You kind of work three twelves and then have a, a little bit of time off. So that, that sounds pretty sweet. Yeah. yeah, it works out, man. Four days a week. That, I mean, that's pretty average across, uh, across hospitals now is like everybody wants to do 12 hour shifts. It's easier to, you know, you get continuity of care and all that stuff that the big wigs like. So, you know, it, but it works out for, um, for you and your family and having lots of time off. Like I want to go on a summer vacation. I have to take one day of vacation and I have a whole week, you know, dude, that's crazy. Yeah, that's great. Just get a little creative with it. Yeah, and that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, Aaron, I'm familiar with your writings. I've I've heard you on some podcasts and different things. But for guys who maybe aren't familiar with you, why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of who you are? Uh, maybe mention some of the outlets that you write for, because I, I think you're yeah. you're producing a lot of really good stuff uh, on multiple different like digital outlets, like on on websites and stuff. So why don't you point yeah. us towards some of that? Well, thank you for that. Um, yeah, man, I I grew up. Uh, just hunting Pennsylvania. I've been bow hunting for 22 years now, like with a bow in my hand, you know, um, minus the squirrels and the little stuff I would go hunt with my dad before all that. Um, public land, as far as that goes, I've been hunting public land for about eight years. Uh, everybody likes to know a little bit about that. Like, Oh, how long you've been doing that? But, um, you know, really when it comes to experience with a bow, all of it matters. It doesn't matter if you're hunting in private, if you're a food plot guy, if you're doing all that stuff, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. Um, and that, I, I hope that's something that I'm displaying in the stuff that I'm writing, you know, um, uh, I do, I get to write for, I have the opportunity to write for, um, uh, I started out really as truth from the stand, uh, Clint Campbell's podcast. And, um, you know, he, he really did a, did a fine job of introducing me to the Exodus guys and we're all, you know, I'm really good buddies with those. I love those guys. They're such, such good people. They run, they run, they have awesome products, but they run a really good business. The, you know, the way hunters really, you know, as far as I, I like, they treat me the way I want to be treated, you know, um, as far as their, 
you know, asking questions about their stuff or whatever it is. So I do get to write for, um, for Exodus outdoor gear. Um, and, uh, they recently started working with, um, afflictor broadheads to, uh, uh, to, you know, produce some content for them as well. So I'm writing for, uh, for afflictor broadhead a little bit now as well. Um, that's, those are the outlets that I'm at, but you know, it, I just like, I like to be, I want to be like a relatable person. Um, and, uh, and, and really just display what hunting really means in the long run and, and how to do it, like how to be successful. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't consider myself like, uh, an expert by any means. I don't really think even the experts are experts in the whitetail woods because there's something to learn every day. Um, but the stuff that I have learned, I, I, I can help people, you know, I can, I can help, help guys learn a little bit about, about what they want to do and what they need to do and kind of cover a lot of different styles, not just like, Oh, you need to go 18 miles in, you know, I, I, I want to cover everything as far as that stuff goes. So. Yeah, man. I, I'm curious. Um, want to back up to that piece. You said you've been bow hunting for 22 years, eight of it on public land. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that, and you're right. Any time with a bow in your hand, uh, is, is good time as far as like mm-hmm. the experience that you gain and what you learn from that, uh, specifically in, in my mind, the first thing that comes up is just getting shots at animals, like take, yeah. like getting in that moment of truth and not freaking out. And you know, what I did for a long time and, and still struggle with is just blacking out. Like as soon as I draw my bow back, I black out completely and next thing I know, the arrow's gone. I hear a deer running off and I'm like, I don't know what happened. Like it just, it just, it just happened. So tell me about your transition from the way you hunted before onto public land. Like, why did you make that shift? And like, what about that sort of, uh, keeps you coming back? So I, I think there's a lot of things. I think, you know, um, if I'm going to start with the, with how you just talked about, um, just getting shots at deer is important. I, I did the same thing hunting on the farm. Like I, I get, I, I don't, it doesn't matter what it is. I'm excited to shoot it. Like if it's a little doe, like I'm shaking probably just as hard as I am. You know, it's just that time of getting ready for a shot. And unfortunately, like I was able to always, I, I don't, it's not that I haven't missed does, but you know, I, on the farm, I, I probably didn't miss those a lot, but I'll tell you what, man, I had a lot of opportunities at bucks and either whiffed or busted them or whatever it was. And I never shot a, I never shot a buck with my bow until I started hunting on public land. Um, but I think, I think part of the transition was, is, uh, just to see more, more stuff. You know, you read about, I, for, most of my early years hunting, I was either hunting small parcels with my dad and my uncle or I, or I hunted this farm. So, you know, um, I wouldn't call the small parcels I hunted like suburban areas, but they were just, you know, five or 10 acre properties, um, in like a rural neighborhood maybe. And, um, the farm that I hunted is a place that I was all the time. So I think it was just to see more and learn more about, you know, you hear about guys hunting in the swamps and, you know, the deer bedding and, in, in cattails underneath a, a tree or, um, 
you hear about bucks betting on a point and how they use the thermals and like, Oh, I never heard about that before. Mm. And like just wanting to go there and experience that. But once you get into an area you haven't gotten to explore and you get to find all these things that are different to you is really addicting. Like you just, you can't stay away from it. And just to see like all the different vegetation and be able to key in on, you know, there's certain, as far as the farm goes, there are certain spots that I'm, the, I'm, the farmer's like my best friend. He would never really exclude me from a spot, but I wouldn't go into the spots that he likes to hunt. Yep. You know what I mean? Yep. So, or, or even his family like to hunt. Like there's these spots that I hunt and my dad and my brother hunt and there's spots that they hunt. And, um, on public land, you don't have that. It's really like where you find the absolute best thing you can find. And that's the best thing that, you know, you get to hunt it the way you want to hunt it, you know? And there's that, there's that element of the farm too, is like, you know, we rifle hunt that a lot and there's parts of it that you kind of just don't want to go into because you know, they're going to be good in rifle season. And, um, uh, for the farm, that's kind of good because it's not public land, but it, you know, when rifle season comes around, there's quite a few people who are allowed to hunt it and it, you know, it gets, it gets a little tight. So if you don't have deer going through your spot per se, uh, you aren't going to, you aren't going to do well. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about your hunting style. I mean, you mentioned a second ago, uh, kind of alluded to how guys can get kind of too much in a box and they're like, this is my style. This is how I hunt. How would you kind of describe your, um, your hunting style or like maybe lack thereof, I guess you'd say, you know, your bag of tricks. Yeah. Um, well, like I said, I do like to, I do like to try everything. I, I think most people would say that I, I, um, I'm the big woods type of hunter. Um, most of the public land in PA, some of it's improved. Um, you know, you'll have, uh, fields and food plots and things like that in some, some areas, but a lot of it is really big tracks of timber. Um, so I would describe it as, as big woods, but there's a lot of different places in PA that have public and ag is not far away or ag might be miles and miles away. So somewhere in between that, that farm and hill country, big woods kind of thing is, is where I probably do best. Um, the part of the state that I am um, in, there's really not a lot of water. So you don't have a lot of that swampy kind of stuff other than, um, you know, maybe, uh, where like lakes, uh, that like the tributaries run into lakes, you might have like a swampy woodlot that's in there or something like that. Um, where you're kind of hunting that kind of stuff. So I would say as far as style goes, I'm, I'm more the big woods type, you know, uh, clear cut scrapes and, and, as far as food goes, different types of browse and things that deer eat in the big woods there. Yeah, man, that's a, that's a piece that that's, that's really tough to unravel. And th- to me, that's just, it's super intimidating. You know, a lot of my hunting in the last couple of years has been in Southern Wisconsin, uh, typical farmland, lots of marshland around it, There are a lot of factors that sort of really influence deer movement. And I feel like when you've just got these huge chunks of, of ground that are just basically just monotonous timber, man, that's really tough. That's really, really tough. Yeah. So, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. You, oh. you had a question there. Yeah. I, I was just going to jump in on the, um, on the whole piece of 
early season hunting, maybe even talking specifically about hunting in the big woods during the early season and the importance of in-season scouting. I think that, you know, one, there's probably not a harder time of year to do a lot of in-season scouting um, than the early season because it's buggy. You can't see a lot. There's, you know, as little sign as possible right now, basically. You don't have a lot of fresh rut sign or anything like that going on to really key in on. So it can be really tough and everything's kind of working against you. But it might be the time of year that is most important to be on the freshest, hottest sign because the deer just aren't moving nearly as far. You're not going to have a buck covering, you know, a mile and a half during daylight hours, right? So if you're not tied in to where that buck likes to be, you're probably out of the game. So how important is early season scouting for you and kind of the way that you hunt in the big woods? Yeah. Um, well, I'll be quite honest. I've never actually, I've never actually had like a whole lot of success in the early season. I've had a lot of good encounters and, and the encounters have happened because of the, the in season scouting. Um, you know, just like everybody, I'm starting with trail cameras in the summertime. I, I do my postseason scouting and trail cameras in the summer. But right now, what I'm doing, what I've done this week um, is now the time to like, if you have any spare the moment places that you can hang a cell cam and get to know where those deer are coming right now, that's important as far as camera stuff goes. Those are your eyes in the woods, right? But they're not a good replacement for scouting at all. Like they can tell you when, if you've got it, they can help you confirm that you've got it right, but you've got to see what's on the ground. So, um, if I'm going to be scouting now, uh, when I get in the woods, most of the time I'm, I'm doing my in season, I'm doing it in season style. Right. So, um, sign is for when I find sign in the early season, it's not robust. I'm not going to see rubs up to my chest. I'm not going to see everything shredded and, and, you know, all, all geared up, you know, you might see a small bush with a few leaves nipped off and a teeny tiny scrape underneath it to the point where you're like, is that a turkey scratching or a deer, you know, but those first scrapes that open up, those first little tiny rubs that open up, they mean something. All right. Like a mature buck, even a mature buck isn't all, isn't all puffed up and ready to go for the rut. He's not getting ready for the rut right now. He's just putting feelers out there. So when you, whenever you find that small sign, I think it's important to just stop and think like, Hey, is this a place where deer are going to come to in, you know, middle, late October, or is it just on the outside of that? Um, but specifically I, I did that last year. I walked past a little scrape, just like I described. And if I would have sat on that little scrape, I would have had a target buck that I had on camera all through July I would have, I would have had an opportunity in range opportunity at that deer. And I was, man, I was 40 yards off being able to shoot him. He was, he was somewhere around 60, 60 or 70 yards away and just standing there right near the little scrape that I had found on the way in. <laughs> but what, what I did wrong was, is in my postseason scouting, I found an area where you know, they're going through this. They're, they're definitely going through this at some point crossing trail over a little ditch. And I'm like, this is a perfect pinch point, you know, and that camera was awesome that I had on that little ditch. 
But what those deer were doing is they were kind of skirting the edge of that ditch at that point in time. And they were feeding on white oaks. So all the does were over there feeding those white oaks and this buck came up from bedding and he's making, I could hear him making scrapes on his way up and I could see the trees rubbing. I couldn't see the deer yet, but I could see the trees swaying as he's rubbing coming on the, coming up the hill. And he ended up seeing those does out in the white oaks and he just kind of like hopped his way over there. And when you got a buck that's interested in white oaks and does, you're not like, you're not getting him out. Like he's not coming. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you do. You can snort, wheeze, grunt. He'll like look over your way maybe, but he's, he's not coming. So that's the kind of thing that you don't want to pass on is like, you, you see a pencil thin rub and a little scrape. A lot of people are like, ah, oh, that's not what I'm looking for. That's what you're looking for in the beginning of October, because that's all there is. As you get, as you go through the season, if you come up to a ton of rubs and a ton of, ton of scrapes in November, it doesn't really mean anything. Yeah. I mean that, like you said, there's just a collection of sign. Like to that point, deer have been making sign for two months, like important sign. So it's important to know that there's sign there. It's a deer that an area that deer like to use, but are they going to funnel through that during the rut? Um, that's what's going to matter later on. But right now, any sign matters. Yeah, man, that that's a really, really good point. Um, I want to circle back to one thing, and then I want to ask you about, like, like how do you weigh the sign in the early season? So when you begin, are you going in, let's say you're going to scout your way in on an afternoon. It's really tough to do uh, in, a, in a morning hunt in the early season, try to scout your way in. But, yeah. but mm-hmm. doing it in an afternoon, are you going into the woods with, like, a destination in mind where you're like, hey, I know that this white oak, flat is hot or I know that this bedding is usually hot this time of year. Are you going in with like a spot in mind and then you're scouting your way to that? Or how often are you just like, Hey, this is a deery area that I like and I haven't really checked out. I just want to walk through there and see what's going on. So I will occasionally just do what you said. Like I'll occasionally go to an area just to see what's going on. But on days like that, it's, it, they're, they're probably, not what I would call ideal days. Um, you know, maybe the wind isn't right for all my other spots or, you know, I have a day to kill, but I, you know, it's really warm or I don't, I don't really care for what's going on for those spots that I have in mind. Those are what I just call burner spots. And those often, those usually pay off. Like you can usually go there and sit in one and be like, Oh, I'd be pleasantly surprised. Right. Especially if you're paying attention to the sign on your way in you're finding that little, like I said, it's subtle, but if it's fresh, it means they are just there. Like that sign is fresh sign in the early season is the best thing that you can find no matter what it is. You're finding fresh scat, you know, rubs that have, you know, wet bark still that are coming off them. Those that's really important in the early season. But in general, I would say I have a spot in mind and, and this is, this really comes from, the collective all year scouting, right? You get the, you get your postseason. You, you've scouted in the summer. You've gotten, you know, this past week I just went and hung some cell cams, and now I know what. Right now, I know kind of where the deer are traveling right now, and it's going to be pretty similar to what they're traveling in in two or three weeks still. Especially because here, you know, our uh, early October, you know, mid September, early October weather is very similar. Like it doesn't really change that much, you know, our temps are the same. Um, weather fronts are really the same. 
everything's kind of the same. So, um, that browse that's in that area that they're feeding in now is still going to be there that first week of the season. So if I'm, if I'm seeing the trails that they're preferring now, they're really building their pattern for that beginning of the year. Um, and you know, obviously there's outliers, you're going to have some shift, but in general, I would say I have a destination in mind because now I've taken some time to either go in and check my SD card cameras uh, I did, I did a lot of that like two weeks ago, uh, two weeks ago and a week ago I did that. And this past week I did some cell cam stuff. So I have a good idea of what deer are preferring to use right now and, you know, kind of build a plan from there. Now what I'll do is, is if I'm going in, you're right. It is almost impossible to go into a, uh, uh, set up in the morning and try to get in on a deer. Most of the time you're going to, you're going to spook them. So, it, I definitely hunt mornings in October. I, I think it's a very good thing to do, but you have to have for that, you have to have a place in mind because you're not going to find rubs and scrapes in the dark unless you're walking on them. And, um, I, so I'll, in morning hunts, I'll have a destination in mind and it's going to be an area where I know I can either slip in close enough past the bedding because they're probably already going to be bedded by the time I get in there or, um, it really, I mean, really what my biggest thing is, is entrance is, is an entrance strategy. Um, and those are probably going to be spots that are a little less aggressive in the morning unless I've hunted it the evening before. I know I can get into some sign that way the next morning. Um, but in general, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, really pay attention to, I'll be going to a specific area and pay attention to the sign that I'm going into. And that's where you, that's where you, where I tend to get stuck in the rut of like, Oh, well, um, I, well, here's these couple new things or whatever, but usually I get deer on camera over here and that's where I really, you know, I have a tree picked out there and everything. You got to be flexible because if I would have been flexible on that hunt last year, I would have had a shot at a, very respectable eight pointer. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, so paying attention to that, you have to break out of the mentality like, Oh, just keep going. Cause your tree's right up there. At the same time, if you haven't found anything, you don't want to just be like either get lazy and don't finish walking the rest of the way. Or, um, you know, there's nothing when you get to your tree, there's nothing around it. You need to keep going until you find that new fresh pocket. Cause maybe they're just a little bit past it. Maybe they're before it, wherever it is. Um, what I would say is, is you don't want to be zigzagging all over the woods to find something. Yeah. You get on a straight line and just walk until you find something. You don't want to be blowing everything out of everywhere. So make sure that you're still focusing on your, your access in don't ruin a hunt for yourself. You can, you can find sign, at some point, some sign will pop up that you'll be happy with and can kind of determine if that's going to be made in the morning or they're going to hit it in the evening. Yeah. Yeah. When, it was a couple of years ago when I really started to try to beat into my head, like, don't settle. Like, just because mm-hmm. you picked out a spot, you know, a couple of weeks ago or maybe even back during some spring scouting, don't settle for that spot. Like, if you get there and the sign's not hot, keep going or that kind of thing. How do you get past that mental hurdle that is screaming at you on October 5th? Like, 
dude, just get in a tree. Like you're here to hunt, like just, just climb a tree and hope for the best. Like, how do you, how do you get over that? Cause I really struggled, uh, to, to, to keep myself going, like to keep pushing. Yeah. I can remember, um, there's, there's a, you know, I'm, I love clear cuts. Everybody who hunts big woods love clear cuts now. Um, so they're getting harder to hunt. But, um, I remember one time I was walking out into a clear cut. It was a spot that I kind of had history with on our opener, right? Like the year, a couple years ago, I had hunted in the woods right outside this cut, didn't see a deer, walked out into the cut and there were deer everywhere jumping. Like I was, I wasn't going to hunt that spot again. So I just ended up walking through the cut in the, in after the hunt was over. And I got to the edge of the cut and deer went, I mean, there were deer everywhere. There, I don't, I couldn't tell you how many there were because all I could see was tails in the dark, oh, man. but there were deer everywhere. And I'm like, well, next year I'm going to sit on the edge like this, you know, cause I thought they would kind of mill into the woods and eat the white oaks and then go out into the cut, which is not what they did. They were already in the cut or came from a different direction and walking into that edge. I'm like, well, there's plenty of shot opportunities here. I'm going to sit on the edge next year. So the next year I sat on the edge and I think, I think I saw six bucks and 20 does that night. Wow. And, um, uh, a bunch of the bucks were small. Like they weren't legal. The ones that ended up being close enough weren't legal, but out towards the middle of this area that I was hunting, there was like a 115 inch eight pointer. And, you know, I've never killed a deer on opening day. I'm going to kill that deer every day. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, he's 65 yards away. And of course he's, he wouldn't leave this. He, there was a little doe out in the middle and he wouldn't leave her alone. Like he would just kind of following around and I couldn't, couldn't get him off, but I did. I snort wheezed at that deer. He takes three steps towards me, three steps back, three steps towards me. That was a really cool hunt, right? I'm like, oh, I think I think that year it was September 29th because it's whatever is the first Saturday closest to the first week in October is how our opener works here. So I thought that was real cool. Oh, well, you know, last year I ended up doing the same thing. Like, this is a good spot. I get the same wind, almost consistently the same wind there every year. It's, a, you know, a southwest wind, which is perfect for the direction the deer are traveling there. So I kind of sat out in the middle of that last year and had the same scenario without any legal bucks, you know, eight or 10 does kind of coming out underneath me and, um, you know, a couple of, couple of small bucks coming out. Um, nothing, nothing, uh, nothing legal here. So that was a little bit, you know, like, Oh, last year was my, was my chance to do it. But it's kind of cool. Cause you learn from that. So to your point, the first time I went out there, I remember it was freezing cold in the morning. And then I biked another like half mile to a mile. I probably mile, mile and a half, I guess further, uh, further into the, into the game lands. And, um, I started walking out across this cut. Well, now it wasn't cold anymore. <laughs> it was like 85 degrees and the cut is just crispy. And you know, you're walking in there and you're nervous. You're going to bust stuff out. And 
how do I do that? So I'm, I remember getting halfway to the edge of that, that to the edge spot that I was sitting and thinking, just sit here. You can just get in this edge. It'll probably be the same scenario. And I'm like, well, no, like that's stupid. You built history here. Like, you know, that if you sit close to that edge, you're going to see deer. Like that's, you know, that's where, at, you know, where you, where you found the sign. Then in the spring, you started to understand how the deer were using that. Don't just stop. Like, so I don't know. I think that when you're in that kind of scenario, I end up trying to compare my, well, you know, what would so-and-so do? Like, I know we're all thinking it. What would Andy May do? You know, like <laughs> we were all asking the question anyway. Yeah. yeah. He says do hard stuff. Well, I guess if I do hard stuff, I should just keep going. Right. Cause we all want to do hard stuff. It's just making yourself do it. If you, and you, you just have to be your own mental coach at those points in time. Cause you don't got mom or dad to hold your hand and you ain't got your buddies to hold your hand when you're walking into a spot. And it's the same thing that people fail about walking into the woods in the dark is like, like if you're going to a specific destination where, you know, they've been like, you, like you said, we're not in season scout. We're not looking for sign in the dark per se, but a lot of people will stop before they get to their tree or be like, Oh, I can't find the tree I picked out. Like just, just, just pause a second. Look around. You're going to find it. You've already been there but you have to just give yourself that time. You have to not rush yourself and you just have to really, really coach yourself through those moments and just remember like come up with something that'll make you do hard things. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's really good. And I I think one of the things that you mentioned a second ago about this, this, you know, pocket of deer that you were in is really important for folks who are hunting in a big woods type of scenario. Like the deer are, are in these little pockets like deer densities may be low, but they're not evenly spread out across the terrain. There are not just as many deer in the big, huge, mature timber as there are going to be around these clear cuts, which now everybody in the world will be hunting clear cuts. Uh, So sorry about that. But, but yeah, I I think that that's huge. Let's come back now to kind of the situation you found yourself in last year where you kind of walked past that little scrape and wishing that you would have stopped. What kind of sign is getting you excited uh, let's say maybe you were hunting one of these special regs units or something in September, late September, first couple of days of October, like what kind of sign is getting you pumped up and you're like, okay, this is when I need to stop. And what kind of sign is like, ah, I kind of need to keep going. Like, how do you inform that decision of whether to set up or whether to take, you know, another hundred yards or, or so? Mm-hmm. Um, right now, deer are all about food and patterns right? Like they're not, especially bucks. They're not worried about, uh, it's not that they're not interested in does. They're always interested in does to some aspect, but it's not that they're not going out and looking for them. Right. They're kind of just like, Oh, if they're there, that's great. I'll, I'll sniff them up. But they're not like, they're not actively going to look for them. They are actively trying to put on some calories, trying to get the nutrition that they need to get through the fall. Um, and, right now there's all kinds of special food for them, right? You know, uh, when you get into November and there's no more leaves on the trees or uh, mass crop, they're, they're, they're browsers. Like they're eating everything at that point. But right now they have a, a lot of opportunity to, to go with changing food sources. So obviously the, the biggest one ever is white oaks, right? So if I'm walking through an area and I've got a little couple, like I said, small sign. Um, 
I'm going to also try to tie that into to food sign. So uh, whatever, I love berries. Uh, deer love berries. Um, in Inside timber, in clear cut, it doesn't matter where it is. If you can find, um, can find patches of some kind of fruit like that, it doesn't matter where it is, if it's in a cut or in the, in, you know, you find a little patch of uh, raspberries in big timber, um, you know, where maybe a tree fell or something and they're just, they'll rip that apart. So I think the important thing is, is to keep an eye out for the stuff that they are hitting. It's harder to see, uh, to see what they're nipping off of if they're eating berries, but look at the ground around the berries cause they're going to paw at it. Anything that falls on the ground, they'll kind of eat the root shoots around that stuff. Um, and the same with white oaks. If you're, if you find the, these little pencil rubs and you have a white oak tree that's close by and all the leaves are, are look like they're, it might even look like turkey scratchings, but if it's all tore up around the bottom of that oak tree, you know, that's a place that they're eating. And then, um, you know, elaborate on that. Take, take a good look at it. Is there dirt that's kicked up that's brand new or is all the stuff washed off the leaves? Like, were they at that yesterday or were they at that, you know, before the last rainstorm, if it was two days ago, you know, you, you're going to be able to see that a little bit better um, and tell what's the, what's the freshest feeding sign too. Just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the How to Hunt Deer podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best point of view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. Their gear is made by outdoorsmen for outdoorsmen. Archery openers are just around the corner and Tacticam just released several new products to help you share your hunt and take your scouting to the next level. Topping the list is their 6.0 point of view camera, providing 4K footage in a user-friendly waterproof package. They've also just released the new Solo Extreme, giving you HD footage, 3 to 8X zoom, and one-touch operation that you've come to expect from your Tacticam point of view camera. Tacticam's lineup of cameras is supported by the best mounts and adapters on the market. This fall, I'll be using their stabilizer mount as well as their bendy clamp mount to make sure my cameras don't miss any of the action. And last but not least, they just launched the Reveal X Pro. With no visible flash, built-in LCD screen, and built-in GPS tracking, the Reveal X Pro will help you take your scouting to the next level. You can learn more about these and Tacticam's entire line of products at Tacticam.com or RevealCellCam.com. This episode is also brought to you by Deer Lab, the number one trail camera app for hunters and land managers. Deer Lab gives you a simple way to store, organize, and analyze all of your trail camera data. Deer Lab has tons of great features like the ability to filter photos based on what's in them like deer or turkeys or people. It syncs your photos with local weather to help you pattern your target. And you can even mass edit your timestamps, which is a great feature if you're like me and you forget to correct the time on your camera. Head over to DeerLab.com to check them out. You can get a free 30-day trial. And then when you're ready to buy, use the code HUNTDEER, all caps, for 20% off of any plan. Now let's get back to the show. Let's say you come up on this on this feeding sign. I, I think this is probably a familiar scenario for guys who uh, maybe are, are well, for anybody who's trying to scout their way in, but especially when you got a guy who's like trying to do this now for the first time or sort of new to this. They get into a spot, they find an oak tree, acorns are falling, there's, there's obvious feed sign around, maybe there's a couple of small rubs in the area. Are you going to stop and set up there early season? Or are you going to push back to where you think bedding might be? Like, like how is that going to play out for you? Or are you just like, you know what, I'm going to take the first sit on this feed tree, and then we'll go from there. 
So I think it depends on, um, uh, how, uh, how aggressive I feel comfortable being on that property. Okay. On public land, you really have nothing to lose, especially, you know, I, I, I think I put around 185 miles of scouting on this spring slash summer. Wow. Right. So there's a lot of places that I can go and be very aggressive because I know I'm only going to hunt it one time and I don't care what happens on that property. It's really good to have places like that, that you know, might either might be good or you know, they're good because you've been following along with them for a couple of years. Um, but I think a few things come into play. So how aggressive do you want to be on that property? If you're planning on hunting that in mid October and you know, historically it's been better in mid October, but you want to get a couple early hunts in, you probably, you probably don't want to push the envelope too hard. You want to get as close as you can without no, with, without, with knowing for a shadow of a doubt that you're not going to kick stuff out. So maybe I will set up on a property that I know really well on an area if I have confidence that they're going to come into that feeding area inside shooting light. Otherwise I would say because you've done scouting, you know what food is ahead of you. So if you're starting to run into sign and it's that small sign, if that sign continues to increase as you're going along and you know, Hey, out here, you know, I got a little, uh, a little old, like an old, logging road that runs through the woods that gets some good sun. I know before there were some poke berries on that. I know there's a couple white oaks around. So now you're mixing in a couple different food, a couple different foods. And if that's closer to the bedding and your sign is increasing as you're getting closer to those extra food sources, you could feel pretty confident in pushing in a little further. Going back to the buck that I had that opportunity on last year, the sign wasn't increasing. I should have stopped because that's where the sign increased too, right? Mm. It was kind of tapering off as I went along. Like there, you know, there were some small scrapes, small pencil rubs. And as I went along, it kind of was dissipating and it really wasn't even that far. Right. Like I said, it was, that deer was 65, 70 yards away. Um, so I think, I think that's the important thing is just watching the increase in, and frequency of sign as you get closer to that bedding and then your scouting knowledge should tell you, Oh, I have a couple different food sources closer to there. So he's more likely to spend a little more time there than he is to come all the way out here during the daylight. Yeah. How I, man, I've made that mistake a lot of times of like trying to push myself too hard. And, And a lot of it is, you know, being in a new place or being on a new property, you really just don't know what's a lot of sign unless you've been there before, unless you have something else to compare it to. So you Mm -hmm. get to the point where you're either you're noticing the sign is dwindling or it's just outright stopped. And you're like, ah, crap, I should have stopped, you know, a hundred yards back or whatever. How often are you going to like circle back to that original sign? Or are you going to kind of consider that spot blown? Because where I have struggled in the past is like, man, if I've passed it and the sign is now gone, I consider that spot behind me kind of blown. And I, and I probably shouldn't, but, but I don't know. How do you, how do you think about that? Well, I, so this brings up a couple other things, um, where I was successful going back. Right. Um, I told you about last year, I didn't go back. I had the thought to, and I should have 
because you're never really going to know until you try a couple times. Right. So there was a spot where a, um, now this is talking kind of like late, later October. Um, there was a spot that I had a really good encounter with a 128. I was at full draw and he busted me and I, I had scouted this area with my buddy in the spring. We ended up hanging a camera on a scrape pretty close to where I had this encounter with this deer, you know, and I, like I said, it was a mid October, a mid October hunt. And that deer was out at 11 AM. So I'm like, Oh, this is a good place to re-scout, hang a camera. Well, two years ago we went and, um, I think it was, yeah, two years ago we went and hung a camera on a scrape there and decided to hunt. Uh, I think the last week in October we were hunting, in the evening and I got in the woods off the edge of this road. Now the place that I normally hunt is probably a hundred yards into the timber off a, off a, uh, a service road or not a service road, but like an old logging road or something, you know, a grassy overgrown kind of thing. But I got in the woods off this road and there were brand new scrapes and there were white oaks munched everywhere. And I'm thinking like, Oh, they're like right here on my stand, but the stand I'll go to would be great. Cause they kind of funnel in that direction or come from that direction. And I got to it and I checked that camera and there was like two deer on the camera and the, and the scrape wasn't even touched. And I'm like, Hmm. I, and I put my stick on the tree and I was like, what are you doing? Go there. There's obviously not deer here. They're still with a brand new, like they're, they changed their scrapes. Just go sit over there. And I did, and I killed a deer that night. Nice. Um, a, a buck came in uh, chasing a doe. Like I said, it was late October. So they're just, they're starting to get their feet wet then, chasing a little bit and, and uh, getting their exercise for the day, I guess. Um, there was a buck chasing a little doe. And they went the opposite direction. They were headed down the hill, and I... I growl like I did a buck growl and this doe came running to me just straight up the hill and started feeding on the white oaks right under the tree. And as she's coming up, the buck wasn't very far behind her. And every time he would get closer, she would jump back even closer to me. And at some point she was maybe five yards under my tree eating brows and white oaks. And she had looked up at me like four or five times, like didn't just eat the oaks there. And my thermal started dropping and I threw out milkweed. It was hitting him in the face. And I was like, well, he's going to bust me any second now. But he was so keyed in on that dough that he didn't really like, he knew something wasn't right, but he was like, well, you know, kind of willing. And I think one of the advantages is, is this like, I'm not sure how much, but I think this logging road does get some recreational hiking kind of stuff. So maybe he didn't feel quite so uncomfortable because maybe he's had some traffic there or something like that. But he ended up getting closer and closer to that doe. And as he got out into the open, he, I remember him making a scrape down uh, down the hill from me and kind of just like looking out from behind the, the bushes and stuff and the, the cover. And eventually he finally came out of the cover. And when he came out in the open and nothing happened, he was like, all right, I'm going to just go for it. So he came, he came pretty quick to that doe. And, um, 
I think I shot him at 10 yards then. Wow. Uh, shooting him at 10 yards, but he was coming those scrapes. I was sitting right over him and all those scrapes looked like they were made that morning. I mean, there was wet dirt particles all over the top of the leaves that were next to them. And like I said, there were, there were acorns and everything was browsed like, you know, fresh nipped things. Everything looked, you know, new and wet, not all dried out, but that was a spot that I went back to. Um, now one thing about that hunt was, is they never crossed over my scent trail. They ended up being below that area. So, um, so I never really knew like, Oh, does that, is that going to matter if I go back to an area? Is it, is it going to be ruined? You're just never going to know until you try. So last year's buck, this doesn't really have to do with anything of going back. Cause I didn't do that but I had set up on an area that I was like, this is, I remember thinking in the spring, and I, I actually told my buddy that I hunt with in this one area, like this is where I'm going to kill a deer this year. I'm going to kill a buck here. And I went in in the dark and kind of my onyx got all swirly and I, I kind of went not the way I really wanted to go. And I ended up crossing like three or four trails, walking over a scrape I didn't want to walk over. And I was just like, whatever. And I just set up and the two bucks that I saw that morning ended up coming exactly from the direction that I accessed. Again, they're public land deer. They always know something's not quite right. But if you, if you, if you do your, I'm not going to say, I don't, I don't really practice a lot of scent control, but you know, I use like an ozone thing or whatever. And I, I can't really tell you if it works. But if you do have to come through an area like that, pay attention to what you're touching. Don't put your hands all over, you know, don't put your hands all over the cover, you know, try to keep it minimal for what stuff is brushing against you. You can't really do anything about your boots, um, but just kind of pay attention to what you're touching along the way. Cause you might come into a scenario where you either accidentally or haphazardly run across a trail. So the first year they came in, I, I could see it standing in the moonlight was a little tiny seven pointer and he stood there until it got light. I was kind of worried they were going to come under my tree in the dark, you know, before, before legal shooting hours. And, uh, he stood there for 15 or 20 minutes till it got light and, um, started working my direction. And I'm like, you know, I'm not really, I can't say that I wasn't ready to just, pull my string back and let it fly at that deer. But I could hear something coming from behind him. And I'm like, Oh, that deer's not going to make it in time before this one busts me. I wonder what's happening. And then I could see, I could see the 10 point rack coming through the cover of a deer that we had on camera quite a bit. And eventually that deer got closer and I'm like, this little seven pointer is going to bust me and this thing's going to be out of here. And I remember thinking he just needs to take two or three more steps and that little seven pointer finally got the nuts to just get out to my edge and he busted me. And initially the, the 10 pointer was behind a big tree. Like he was, uh, it was, he was straight on behind a big tree, like chest all covered up. And for whatever reason, he jumped to his right and I was already at full draw and he was 12 yards. And I remember thinking, you're either going to, take this frontal shot that you've practiced. I know you're nervous about it, but you practice it. You're either going to take it or that deer's out. 
he's like, you got one more second. Mm. And I had my pin settled and ready and I, I squeezed it off and it ended up going in the arrow ended up going in along his, uh, his right shoulder and came out his left groin. So I hit everything. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I think that kind of speaks to what you're asking about is like, Hey, is it, if you have to go back over that sign, are you just boogering it up? Well, maybe, but you don't really know until you hunt it. Yeah. Um, maybe you have to have the right, uh, you have to have a deer with the right personality to go back over that stuff. Or, um, or you just have to try to keep your invasion minimal. Like if, if you know where that sign is, hopefully you've not touched everything up on your way in. Cause that might leave you the opportunity to go back without too much invasion. And again, the first time I went back two years ago, I said those deer didn't cross over my scent trail and they didn't, but I was pretty careful getting to that camera and that's something that they could have done. Right. But that was an area they really wanted to be. So I think, I think that's the other thing is kind of looking at that sign is like, there was no other sign other than those two or three little scrapes and that feeding sign there that was where those deer were keen in on. They were going to be there at some point. So, Yeah, that's, that's good. And I, and I think, too, you mentioned it just a second ago uh, with, with one of those hunting scenarios, but, like, understanding the property that you're on, too, is, is huge because I hunt several properties that get a lot of hiking and just a lot of people walking around in general. And so, like, yeah. on those, I feel like, you know, the, the deer are so used to some level of ground scent, like some level of people walking through. Now, if you're in a property where you're, you know, two miles off the nearest, you know, hiking trail or whatever, they're probably going to turn inside out if they, if they get a good, uh, a good whiff of you. But man, I, I want to run you through a, a couple of scenarios to kind of round this out. And these are scenarios yeah. where I found myself in, the, in them and I didn't quite know what to do next. And sometimes I made the right decision. Sometimes I didn't make the right decision. But I want to see um, how you would handle it and kind of what your thought process would be. So the first one is this. Working my way in, it is later in September, sometime around like the 25th, 26th, 27th, somewhere in there. Uh, it's a public land field edge. And I get to the edge of the field. And there's a trail that's really... Um, it's pretty much always used. I mean, the does are, are out in there quite a bit. I mean, this this place gets a lot of, of people on it, but not necessarily a ton of hunting pressure that just makes the deer lock down and, you know, really hold up in, in real thick cover. I found a really big track on the edge of this field, and the cover is not very far away. Like, I know the first layer of bedding is probably 125 yards from where from where I'm at. Like, if I go 125 yards, then I'm going to start bumping does and all kinds of stuff. Are you going to set up on that public land field edge? Now this is a, a mile and a quarter back in there, but it's an easy walk. Are you going to set up on that field edge or are you going to keep pushing in to try to get closer to that bedding? Because, uh, and here's the other part of the scenario that makes it tough. So this trail is really well used, but there are lots of really well used trails. And this is the one that I came across with a big track in it. So that deer coming up out of the marshy, land where they're, where they're kind of all bedding could come up from anywhere once I get off of the field edge. But I know he's used this specific trail to get into the field. How are you going to play that? 
Um, I'm, I don't really love field edges. It's not because I, I think that you can kill deer on field edges. Um, so I, I think you have to look at your goals. If you're just, if you're just ready to fill a tag and, and, um, you know, like we talked in the beginning, uh, just that experience of shooting deer is going to help you shoot more deer. doesn't matter if it's a buck or if it's a doe, whatever it is, the, the, the experience of shooting a deer will help you shoot another one later. So if you're just ready to fill a tag, sit on that field edge, you, you can probably get a crack at a doe. And I'm not talking like sit on the field edge so you can shoot into the field. Those deers aren't, those deer, those deer aren't coming from the field. They're coming from the woods. Yep. So, you know, 30 yards, 40 yards in, um, whatever your first little bit of browse is off that field edge or, uh, or mass crop, whatever that is, um, do yourself a favor and get the practice if you feel like you need it and, and be honest with yourself. If you need a little bit of practice, you need a little bit of practice. Um, as, as far as like, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm seeing a buck that's coming into that field and it's five minutes past shooting light or something like that, you're not going to, you're not going to kill him on that field as you, you can't, you can't assume that like, Oh, well he came out five minutes late. Maybe tomorrow he'll come out, but he's not coming out earlier. <laughs> if anything, he's coming out a couple minutes later. So you just kind of need to, um, figure out what access you can do to get past those does. Cause they're probably going to be the first that are betting. And like you said, you're going to blow them out. So if I'm, if I'm getting in from that field edge and I know that buck's only 125 yards, I can assume that those does are 65 or 70 yards. Um, I think that you have to get creative with, uh, with wind directions. Um, if it's early, if it's early in the year, um, maybe wait until you have a heavy wind that day and, uh, and you can get in there without making a lot of noise. If that wind is in your favor and you're not making any noise on a windy day like that, there's a real low chance that those deer are going to catch you. You can get in tighter, right? You got the trees blowing everywhere. So there's shadows everywhere. So you're going to be a little less visible. Um, a lot of times deer aren't, bothered nearly as much as something that they aren't quite sure what it is if they see it, but if they smell it, you're in, that's it. Like they're not coming there that night. So I think maybe trying to think about ways you can get creative with, um, with the weather. Uh, if you have, um, a real still day, maybe, maybe you're hunting, uh, after a rain, that's another way to keep quiet. Um, the other thing that you can do is, is, you know, make sure that your, um, your equipment is as quiet as it can be. You know, if you got a lot of metal or something like that, find some fuzzy tape or whatever, the stealth strips and, and take that stuff up and don't, don't climb the side of the tree, the tree that the deer are looking at, you know, use that tree as a barrier. But if you're going into an early season spot and you're walking down and you're, you're going on a trail that, you know, a buck is coming out of, and you know there's does between you, but you know he comes out late, you're the likelihood of you killing that deer real close to the field isn't good. So if you really want your best opportunity, you just have to be aggressive. And if you get it wrong, and you probably will get it wrong a few times before you get it right, you know, pay attention to what those deer are doing. If you spook those does out of the bed, you know that 
that fucking is, is busted as well. Which direction do they go? How did they spot you there? Um, and you can use that in the next, maybe not at that spot, but you'll be able to use that in your next scenario. Um, you know, how can I get into that area? Um, without blowing it out. Yeah, that's good. So here's how it played out for me, right? So I get there and uh, I decide I'm not going to set up on the field edge. I'm going to work back up into the cover. And I went mm-hmm. about 40 yards and found uh, a scrape. And I'm, I'm talking for September, it was a good, a good scrape. I mean, it was, it was one that I'd be pretty excited about pretty much any time of the year. So I'm, mm-hmm. count, I'm counting that pretty pretty good in, in early September. And it too had a big, had a big track in it. So I went just a little bit further, maybe 10 yards past the scrape thinking that I would catch that buck coming out of bedding on his way to the scrape and I'd get a good shot at it. Um, I climbed up into the trees, really still day. Wind was in my favor though. And as I'm climbing the tree, little bucks start to come up out of the bedding area. I think they heard me kind of rustling around on the tree as I'm getting sticks and stuff set up and they're coming Mm -hmm. out trying to check it out. Like, okay, what's, What's out here? They leave. Finally, uh, a couple of does work their way up out of the marsh, and here comes the big buck right on their tail. Um, you know, it's it's September, so he's just kind of nudging them around or whatever, just kind of following them. Yeah. Uh, but he was 75 yards further down the field edge or, or further further down sort of parallel with me. Um, he never made it to the field in, in, in daylight, but I never would have seen him to get info for the next day uh, had I not set up further off the field. So – think it's a good call. Um, next scenario, I'm walking through uh, CRP because it's the only access to these this white oak ridge that's just really raining down acorns. I get to the edge of the CRP and there's a cluster of rubs. And this is like, this is in Wisconsin. It was probably September 20th, uh, like two days after the opener. I think the opener that year was September 18th. So right on the edge. Um, are you going to stop at those small cluster of rubs? And when I say cluster of rubs, I mean probably like 20 uh, rubs on the edge of this CRP. Or are you going to push in a little bit further and try to get to those white oaks that you know a lot of deer are hitting? And that, and that you have good intel that there are bucks hitting that, uh, that oak ridge in daylight. Um. Rubs like that, I think in that time of year are really encouraging because that's, you know, they're right now they're making little small ones, but they're pretty scarce. So when you see like a big cluster like that, it's uh it's pretty promising. So I think one thing, if you're going to hunt the edge, if I'm going to hunt the edge, I'm going to, I'm going to ask myself how much cover is that? Does that buck have a lot of screening cover from the outside edge of that CRP? Like, is that, is that giving him enough cover to feel comfortable from where you're accessing it from? Um, if the answer is no, and I know there's white oaks a little bit further, um, he's probably also staging before those white oaks. So I probably would say he's hitting those, those rubs. If, if the CRP isn't enough cover to make him feel comfortable in that edge during the day, or, you know, maybe five minutes before light or something, um, I'm probably going to go to the next staging cover. So I'm probably going to go past the white oaks hopefully there, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to take a wild guess or bet and see that there's uh, another staging area right on the other side of those white oaks and probably hunt that side of that, that, that area. Okay. 
So here's how it played out for me. I've got good intel. That buck had been in there on that white oak ridge pretty much every day, 30 minutes before before dark. So plenty of time to, to get a shot on him. Um, I, didn't, I didn't see him. I pushed on to the white oaks. I didn't see him. I hunted it again. Didn't see him. Uh, went in, did a little bit better scouting. Now, this is kind of a, I just scouted my way in on an unfamiliar property uh, kind of to begin with with this, with this place. Um, turns out he was betting about 40 yards from that cluster of rubs, and I had, I had bumped him out, uh, I guess, on my way in. He never showed back up on that camera in daylight, um, never got another, another picture of him, but I'm relatively positive it was his bed that I found uh, about 40 yards away from that cluster of rubs and turns out he saw me and I walked right past him anyway. So he probably just yeah. slipped out of there as I was working my way in. You know, a lot of times just to key in on that, a lot of times, I guess at this time of year too, CRP isn't something that deer won't bet in. Like you have a tall switchgrass field or you have a bean field that, you know, just the tips of their antlers stick out of. That's not a place that they're going to shy away from. Yeah. Like they might be betting in the middle of that stuff in this, t- at this time of year, you know, the bugs are bad inside the woods. Cause it's really, you know, the, the woods is trapped, can trap a lot of humidity at this time of year. Um, so maybe, and if there's like standing water inside the woods, you know, they want to stay away from the mosquitoes and that kind of thing. And those fields might get a little bit, might get a little breezy. You have thermals coming out of the woods to a hot field or something like that. Um, you, they might bet in the middle of that stuff. Um, just to, just to be a little more comfortable throughout the day. So that, that, those 20 rubs that you're talking about, that could be staging cover there. And they're going in from the CRP to their staging to the white Oaks. Yep. Cause that's more of a comfortable time to be in those white Oaks. But I think, you know, we all get in the mindset of everybody, we all get stuck in the, unless you're Jake Bush, we get stuck in the mindset <laughs> of, of, uh, you know, how the bucks bed, you know, middle of October through middle of November, we all have that mindset. Cause that's what we've scouted. That's what we've found postseason, right? You're finding all that fall sign. You might find some early season sign, but it's not going to be much. You're finding most of that in the summer, early fall, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And man, that so, it, I, I'm glad you brought up water because this this white oak ridge that I was hunting was just over and kind of looked out over. If you're on top of the ridge, uh, a marshy area with a pond right beneath it, and mm-hmm. the bugs were awful. Like the mosquitoes were awful. The more you got down towards the bottom uh, of that ridge where that marsh began, the bugs just got worse and worse and worse. And the oaks that were dropping at this point were closer down to the to the bottom as opposed to up high on the ridge. So I think that's exactly what he was doing. I think he was betting out in the middle of that CRP in this sort of low spot. Uh, Yep. Yep. Where there was just like a bunch of, a bunch of brush and he was just sitting out there hanging tight. And I walked by and he slipped out without me ever, uh, ever knowing and never, never made another appearance. Well, uh, yeah, man, thanks so much for coming on the show today. What are your, uh, what are your plans for the fall? Like how, how are things looking for you? Do you have one that you're, you have a bead on right now that you're just itching to get after? Uh, I have a bead on two. Um, my, my primary that, that I like to hunt the most, uh, I, I, there's, there's just so many deer there right now. And I think they're going to shift. I, I have the feeling that they're, they're going to disperse a lot, but there's, there's quite a few, 
there's quite a few lookers, um, but there's two that I think, even though they've been there all summer, I think they're probably going to stick around because they're really showing a lot of the same patterns that some of the deer we had on camera last year were using. Um, and those deer stuck around. So I kind of think that those two I'm hoping will be in the area. Um, unfortunately I'm missing our opener. Uh, I'm missing the early opener here and I'm missing the late one. Cause I, like I told you, I'm going, I'm doing that elk drop camp. Um, we're leaving on the September 22nd for that. I'll probably get home October 3rd. Um, but I have, uh, six or seven days off after I get back from the elk hunt too. So, um, I'll probably key in on those two bucks early because their, their patterns are, if they're going to follow the same pattern, it'll be pretty predictable early on. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty ready to hit it, man. I'm ready to be in a tree and bow in hand and I'm ready. Awesome. Well, man, thanks for coming on the show. Good luck to you this fall. And, uh, you, you want to tell folks where they can find you and get a hold of you? Sure. Um, you can find me on Instagram. My handle is just Aaron underscore Hepler. Um, and like I said in the beginning, uh, any of the writing is uh, at uh, exodusoutdoorgear.com, truthfromthestand.com, and afflictorbroadheads.com. Um, and you can find me on Facebook too. But awesome. That's where I'm at. Good deal. Well, thanks again, buddy. Good luck. Thanks, man. You too. That's all for this week, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks to Aaron for coming on. Big thanks to our partners, Huntworth, Deer Lab, and Tacticam. Good luck to you as you are finishing up your scouting or getting out into the woods for your first couple of archery hunts for the year. Make sure to follow along with us on Instagram. Uh, keep up with everything that we're doing. And if you're looking for more relatable outdoor content, head over to thesportsmansempire.com where you'll find my other podcast, The Wisconsin Sportsman, as well as a whole host of other relevant outdoor podcasts.